Hello and welcome to The Roadmap, the technology law podcast recorded in London by Bristow's. My name is Alice Suola-Grant. I'm an associate in the commercial technology team here at Bristow's and I'll be your host for this episode of The Roadmap. In the first episode of this two-part series, I was joined by Vic Karana, a partner in our tech team here at Bristow's. We discussed strategic considerations when deciding to move towards agile ways of working. Today, we're taking a deeper dive into all things agile in the context of tech development. What exactly is agile and what isn't? And how should agile development projects be approached when it comes to putting pen to paper? To discuss this topic, I'm joined by one of the associates in our technology team, Jamie Cox. How are you today, Jamie? I'm doing great. Thank you, Alice. Wonderful. Also joining me today is Adrian Sim, a partner in the tech team here at Bristow's. How are you doing, Ads? I'm doing well. Thanks, Alice. Thanks for having me along. Glad to hear it. So let's get into it. Jamie, when we talk about agile in this context, what do we mean? So generally, agile is defined in contrast to the traditional waterfall development method. In waterfall, all of the requirements tend to be set out up front. And this is what the customer or the entity commissioning the development should get at the end of the project. And you go through a linear process of development, testing, approval, support, and so on. By contrast, with Agile, the development project focuses this linear process on individual requirements or smaller groups of requirements and runs in smaller cycles, usually of four weeks or so. Thanks, Jamie. There's also some specific terminology that's used in this space. What sorts of terms are used and what do they mean? I think the main ones to bear in mind are sprints, user stories and the product backlog. Sprints are this concentrated period of time that I just mentioned of around about four weeks, wherein a specific feature or a group of features are worked on exclusively. Uh, Each of these individual features or group of features are called user stories or product backlog items. And then the product backlog itself is the name for the prioritized list of functionality or each of these user stories or product backlog items. And this is a key tool for ensuring a successful agile delivery because you need to make sure that the project is both properly scoped and stays on track uh, as you go through the project. Thank you, Jamie. So we've talked about what Agile is and at a very high level, some of the terms that are commonly used in these types of projects. But what are some of the things that Agile isn't? Well, Alice, I guess, firstly, it's important to note that Agile isn't a specific development tool. That's more Scrum or Kanban. So Agile is a more generic term, which is a way of working. But to be honest, these days, people use it pretty interchangeably with the specific development tools themselves. Secondly, Agile isn't great for anything which constrains flexibility. So those types of projects may not be suitable for Agile. So if you're doing a project where you have quite strict regulatory requirements and they must be delivered, Agile may not be the best approach for that particular project. And third, Agile isn't a panacea or solution for all the problems that often you hear about besieging IT projects. You still need to have, you know, good governance, clarity on certain contractual terms and things like that. But I guess the key takeaway is to just make sure you've thought about it before you set out to use a particular methodology, whether agile or otherwise, on a particular project to make sure that that project fits with the methodology you want to use. That all makes sense. And what's clear is that agile is a flexible yet focused delivery model. That doesn't mean we do away with the contract entirely, right? 
what are some of the challenges of contracting for Agile and how can we address those challenges? I guess the key issue is the contract itself and you've got to get that contract right. So I suspect suppliers delivering with an Agile methodology would love a very light contract, you know, billing on a TNM basis where there are very few provisions or constraints or commitments. Customers, on the other hand, like to refer to using an Agile methodology, but often still present suppliers with, you know, a traditional IT contract, which really, and generally are sort of based on the waterfall delivery methodology, you know, with all the bells and whistles that entails, you know, fixed milestones, very traditional governance structures, restrictive change processes. So if you find yourself, you know, using or thinking you're going to be creating an Agile contract, but you've got all of those strict milestones, LDs, detailed list of requirements, maybe actually you shouldn't deliver that project in an agile way, or maybe actually the contract isn't appropriate for that particular project. So the way that we tend to try to, you know, overcome this issue is is to create a contract which does accommodate that. And while customers tend to be a bit more familiar with that more traditional waterfall style IT contract, there are some key provisions that you can change to make it much more suitable for an agile delivery. So adapting provisions like change, governance and acceptance can actually bring a traditional IT contract more in line with what's required to mesh with an agile delivery. Okay, so I suppose one of the challenges that you might get as a lawyer or procurement professional, um, particularly from development teams, is about the constraints that might be set out or built into a contract or other formal documents. You talked about change, governance, acceptance, but how do you balance the need for certainty with the flexibility of agile methodologies? Yeah, it can be pretty tricky, Alice. Like, you know, for me, waterfall deals or your traditional IT deals are about the balance between scope, time and price. And ideally, all of these would be fixed. Um, But it can be really hard to protect against all of those three variables on an agile project where actually some or all of them aren't fixed, especially on the scope front. So if you have variable scope, it can then be hard to lock down time and price. So you need to get to that sweet spot where, you know, you've got some contractual protections, but you've got modified provisions on some of those points that you mentioned, you know, change and and governance that allow you to reflect that agile methodology. Sure. So we've mentioned um, modifying key provisions as one way to achieve that balance. What sort of provisions are we talking about, Jamie? Well, as with most agreements, liability remains an important consideration, and especially so in agile deals because of this increased cooperation between the customer and the supplier throughout the process. However, unless the arrangement is actually a staff augmentation, so you know where the supplier's staff are effectively stepping into the role of the customer's team and are completely under the customer's direction, you actually end up seeing much more standard or, or usual limits on liability to apply. I think uh, another key thing to bear in mind is making sure that there are sufficient uh, obligations on the supplier in relation to performance to ensure that the project keeps moving forward. You can do this even if there is, as um, Adrian alluded to, there is uncertainty over the scope or the exact end product, because ultimately the supplier will still need to deliver working code um, and will still need to meet these user stories throughout the project. And so customers can help ensure that these are obligations are met by requiring certain standards of behavior to be met by the supplier and their staff 
So these are obligations around the quality and reliability of the supplier's personnel that they will be working on this project. Another helpful way to govern or manage performance is to set a base rate for the velocity at which the project will go forward. This is done by setting a minimum rate that the product backlog items will be completed within a sprint and throughout the project as a whole. This is a helpful way of working because not only does it help measure performance um, going forward, but you can tie in certain benefits on the supplier where they exceed this rate. And so it effectively acts as a carrot and a stick to help incentivize performance that way. And then finally, as with any IT project, you want to put in obligations around both price and time as much as you can to ensure that the project is delivered within acceptable budget and, and timeframes. Thank you, Jamie. That's all really helpful. Adrian, is there anything else that you would add to that list? Yeah, I'd probably add governance and change. But just before I get into that, I guess to make one further point to build on what Jamie was saying on liability, I think it's important that you think about liability in the broadest contractual sense, so not just the liability provisions. So what I'm talking about here is like have a think about the relief provisions because they may still be relevant in an agile methodology um, that's being used on a big IT project. Because there is so much joint working and interdependencies between the customer and the supplier. So you do need to think if you're on the supplier side, what are some of the relief provisions and dependencies that you'll be looking to put on the customer, you know, especially the product backlog owner who usually comes from the customer side of things. And then to the other two points that I mentioned, I guess, governance to make Agile work properly and successfully, the way that governance happens and decisions are made does need to change a little bit. Agile teams tend to have quite a high level of devolved responsibility with only the occasional points being escalated, which is a little bit different to how some other traditional IT projects work. So thinking about the governance mechanisms, you might need, for example, you know, to require the parties not to come together um, all the time in very formal governance meetings, but you might have different triggers. So if the velocity that you've agreed to hasn't been met, such that you're not getting the outputs that you require or that the quality falls below a particular agreed threshold, that might be something that you escalate into a governance forum, or you might deal with it in a retrospective, which is sort of part of the agile process. Sure. And that's that's kind of really a process for people to get together and make sure that things are still on track and have a look at, at what they've done, right? Exactly. It's like a, it's a reflective provision, a re reflective meeting after you've had a particular sprint, as you say, just to make sure things are going in the right direction. Sure. Um, the other point on governance, which is a little bit different to your traditional IT contracts, is to think about key personnel and whether or not actually there should be some key personnel from the customer side, which would be pretty unusual. And that, again, is just to reflect the fact that the teams are working together and actually a change in personnel on the customer side might have quite an impact on the supplier being able to meet some of its obligations. And finally, just on change, you know, in an agile methodology, change is a very inherent part of how you deliver the project. So change will happen within the agile team. And rather than documenting every change and making it go through an approval process, it happens really quickly. And I guess, you know, agilely in that process. So there's no need to like fully document everything, but at the same time, it can be helpful if each side is keeping sort of contemporaneous notes about the reasons why changes have happened, because you know, if there were to be a dispute down the line, those documents can be quite helpful in trying to resolve that. Sure. And um, you mentioned earlier that acceptance is another key factor. Jamie, could you walk us through what that means in a contractual context? 
yes, acceptance absolutely needs to be built into the into the contract, but it requires careful consideration. This is because of the way that Agile works. Yeah, it's akin to that move fast and break things mentality. And the parties need to plan for some of the user stories to not meet the definition of done first time round and require some rework. And when we talk about definition of done here, we mean... This is the agreed criteria, you know, this acceptance process at the outset, without knowing what the actual scope will be, the general principles that will govern acceptance. Makes sense. So a way of managing this acceptance process is to accept that it's not always going to work the first time and to clearly set out what will happen when it doesn't work, but in a way that doesn't seek to overly punish the supplier for this, particularly in the first round. There are a number of a number of different possible remedies to consider, but normally you see this being done either by allocating remediation work to the following sprint in the process, or if there are multiple uh, errors, having a separate specific remediation sprint at um, some point down the line. I think also this ties well into uh, warranties that you would uh, the customer would seek to have in place in the contract um, because they tie into this perf- issues around performance. There are two sort of main cons- considerations for the warranties. The first is to think, what are you warranting against? Because at the outset, you don't know necessarily what the output is going to be. It's difficult to try and warrant too much against that. And so akin to performance, the warranties will tend to focus more on the the quality of the staff that the supplier will be providing, as well as the number of user stories that get accepted or pass acceptance as you go through the process. The second thing to bear in mind is when exactly the warranty period will start for each of these projects or the user stories. So unlike in Waterfall, where everything is done at once, and so the warranty can all start at one period and run for a specific time, because these sprints are happening in four-week increments, often warranties for the specific work done in that sprint will start ticking at the end of that sprint. However, the concern with that is it may not be obvious that where there is uh, an error or something that needs fixing until that specific user story is then integrated into the wider project or product. And so a way to manage this issue and to ensure that you you don't identify this issue outside of the warranty period is the parties will usually agree one final sprint at the end of the entire project, which is a sort of integration and implementation sprint. And so in that time, you will hopefully identify and see any issues that arise once everything has come together for the final time. And then you have a a whole warranty period that can cover the whole project as a whole, effectively. So that's a good way of sort of tying everything together. Exactly, yeah. Well, thank you so much for that overview of agile development and some of the contractual provisions to look out for when contracting for these types of projects. To summarise what we've discussed on this episode, a first step is to review the project at hand, take a step back and consider, is this truly an agile development project? We talked about some of the factors that should be considered when moving towards agile methodologies in the previous episode in this series. If you haven't already, give it a listen for more detail about things to consider. Secondly, if you've determined that actually this is an agile project, don't just do away with the contract. It's still possible to find a sweet spot, a contract that factors in flexibility whilst making sure that the teams deliver on a viable product. Flexibility doesn't mean not documenting anything. 
agile methodologies work iteratively and the contract can accommodate this by reflecting the fact that design and requirements might not be known at the outset but will need to be figured out at some point think about some of the key provisions we've discussed alongside this liability performance obligations change management acceptance governance and contractual warranties finally exercise good governance both the supplier and the customer will need to ensure sufficient resource is dedicated to the project. Maintaining good governance day to day is a sure way to keep your agile development project on track. Adrian, Jamie, thank you for chatting with me today. It's been such a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Alice. Thanks, Alice. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, download and share this podcast. We'd love to make this podcast as interactive as possible. If you have a particular interest area, any thoughts, suggestions, or general feedback on this or possible future episodes, get in touch with us at theroadmapatbristos.com. That's theroadmapatbristos.com. Or use the hashtag, hashtag theroadmappod. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with the next episode soon. Bye.